So, page 358, Book of Two Kings. Chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verse 8. Now, the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware of passing that place, because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on the guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord and king, said one of his officers. But Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so that I can send men back and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of God got up and went out early next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came down towards him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elisha had asked. Elisha told them, This is not the road, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. (coughs) After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they can see. Then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill those you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink, and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the bands from Aaron stopped raiding Israel's territory. You might want to keep that scripture open, because we'll be looking at that as we go through. But let's pray, shall we? Lord, those words in that passage, do not be afraid. Lord, I'm just conscious that many of us today may be living with some fear in our life. Lord, I want to pray that that call that comes in this passage will resonate with our hearts today. Lord, open us to the work of your Spirit, speaking through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. A friend of ours was once approached by a vacuum cleaner salesman. Your life doesn't get much better, does it? And this vacuum cleaner salesman was trying to sell him A very expensive vacuum. By expensive, I mean it was £700. I won't ask for a show of hands if anyone has bought a £700 vacuum cleaner. But it's a lot of money for a vacuum cleaner. And he said, this vacuum cleaner is amazing. He said, you vacuum with it, and not only does it pick up the dirt that you can see, 
They're like, if I look down here on the carpet, there's a bit of dirt there. I would vacuum and pick that up. But he says, this picks up the dirt that you can't see. It picks up, it's so powerful, so awe-inspiring, that it picks up the dirt not only from under the carpet, but from under the floorboards. <laughs> my friend's response was exactly the same as what my response would have been. If it's under the floorboards, let it stay there. If it's under the carpet, let it stay there. Basically, out of sight, out of mind. If you can't see it, don't deal with it. Most of us actually live like that, don't we? If we can't see it, we don't want to acknowledge it's there, leave well alone. There's been quite a lot of news this week, hasn't there? There's been horrific events in Nice, in Turkey. There's been events in our own country with a new prime minister. And I was watching the, the handover from David Cameron to Theresa May when they went to the palace. And it was quite interesting because it was all choreographed perfectly. The timings were impeccable. But when the Queen was in conversation, the BBC reporters were saying, and I wonder what they'll be talking about now. Will they be talking about this or that? Will they be talking about Theresa May's leopard skin shoes? Or will they be talking about this, that, or the other? But basically, nobody had a clue. It was all speculation. Nobody will ever know. I was out walking the other day, and I came across a tree that was covered in bits of pink stuff. And on it, it said, Fairy Door. And this wasn't the work of a child. This was the work of an adult. And it was quite interesting because I thought, you know, a lot of people live with an awful lot of speculation in life. Random speculation. Actually, what we see isn't all there is, but it just goes off at random tangents. I'm thinking, oh, there are fairies that live in trees around Limdown. This passage we're looking at this morning is a passage that takes us from looking just with human eyes, but to not to looking in a place of random speculation, but looking with the eyes of faith, and with the eyes of revelation, and looking to see what God's reality is. So what's going on here? Well, I don't want to set too much context, because we're only in two kings for one week. But basically, King Ben-Hadad is the king of Syria. King of, it's Aram in this passage. And there's been an on-and-off war with Israel. There's some locations for you. Sorry about those awful pictures. But that's just to set this in a bit of context as where things are taking place. Elisha looks like Chewbacca on there. I'm not sure that's really helpful. <laughs> But what was going on? There were raids coming down from Syria in the north down into Israel. Israel at that point was a split kingdom of Israel and Judah. So we're talking about the northern kingdom here with Samaria as its capital. And we find um, that actually the king of Aram thinks that there's a spy in the Israeli camp. He thinks that somebody is telling the king of Israel what's going on. Verse 12 says, Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. But there's no phone tapping or whatever the ancient world equivalent would have been. But actually, what Elisha is doing is getting revelation from God. Revelation that protects the people of Israel from these ongoing raids. So King Ben-Hadad tries a different angle. Rather than attack Israel itself, let's take Elisha out. Let's get to the source of the revelation. So they find out where he is, and he's in this city to the north, a place called Dothan. Now, when we're reading the Old Testament, we, we hear things like cities mentioned. I think it's important just to get a bit of a sense of scale here. You know, we're not talking about a city like London or Bristol or Manchester. Dothan probably had a population of about 1,500. So it's more like Highley. It's that sort of size. So not, not a massive place, 
Well, actually, when you think about it, if you were to go this afternoon and try and surround High Lee with chariots and horses, you'd need an awful lot of them. So although the city isn't big, the army is probably quite sizable. Verse 15, Elisha's servant gets up and sees the city is surrounded. For all the people who live there, this would be terrifying. Terrifying. You know, you wake up and you look out and you see that your city is surrounded. And it puts you in a place of total fear. It's a totally hopeless situation. The people of Dothan at this point have no way of doing anything about it, of controlling it. Don't know this morning where you find yourself. Do you find yourself in the position of the people of Dothan? You're beset by problems, surrounded by things that actually you don't feel you can break out of. Things that just seem to have a grip on you, things that are causing you to be fearful, things that are causing you to think, whatever is going to happen next. What's the response? Well, the servant of Elisha says this, Oh my Lord, what shall we do? Have you ever prayed that? Dear God, what on earth shall I do? Dear God, what shall I do? We become fearful because actually we're not doing what Paul tells us should be do, we should be doing. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. That's Paul's instruction to us. As part of me says, actually, really, Paul, do I do that? Do I walk by faith? Do I walk by what I know God sees? Or do I walk by what I think I see? I don't know about you. I can't answer for yourself. I can only answer for me. But I struggle with that. Do I walk by what I don't see? Or do I actually walk by what I think I do see? But look at Elisha's response. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's a phrase that will appear 80-odd times in the Bible, just in that particular form. Don't be afraid. Would you find that comforting if you were in Dothan? I don't know whether I would. If I'm sat there and the city is surrounded, there's horses and chariots, and you know this force can attack the city. There's no resistance this city can give to prevent that force attacking. And Elisha says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, we so often deal with what we can see, don't we, in life? We're materialists. I came across this quote this week. said, modern Christians are often functional materialists who only believe visible things are real. Of course there is a God out there somewhere, but he's an awful long way off. I don't know whether you feel in your life today that God feels a long way off. When we look at the world today, when we look at what happens in Turkey, when we look at what happens in Nice, when we look at the, the sort of the tensions in our own nation, do we feel that actually God feels a long way off? Where is he? What's he up to? What's going on? And we find ourselves with questions. Yeah, we often sing, don't we, about the intimacy of God. We sing about God who, you know, what a friend I found closer than a brother, those sort of songs that talk about the intimacy of our relationship with the Lord. We looked last week at how Jesus longs to pour his spirit into our lives and quench our deepest thirsts of him. And yet we do all that, and yet still sometimes we can function like this, thinking, where is God? Where is he? What's he up to? Do not fear. These are the words that come. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them.
Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. We could apply that today, couldn't we? Don't be afraid of the situation that you're in. Do not fear, because God's resources are greater than the situation. Do not fear, because the God who walks with you is far more powerful than any situation you'll find yourselves in. But I think it's really important here to just pause and think about fear. Does anybody not fear anything? No, I think we all fear, don't we? The human emotion, when we feel out of control, we start to fear, and we start to think, what is going to happen? But I think often what we do is we view responses to fear in relation to a material outcome. Let me just explain what I mean a little bit. You know, we live in a world that is very materialistic. We, we view things by whether something makes us feel good or, or whether it makes us not feel good. We also live in a very capitalist society that views everything on profit. You know, does it make money? Are people happy at making money at the end of something? And in life... We often feel that we need a material destination for something to be, to be worked out. Yet there has to be that end game. You know, we know God's end game, don't we? We know that if we're in Christ, we will go to heaven to be with him forever. There'll be no more, um, no more grief, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more crying, there'll be no more tears. If you're in Jesus today, that is the canvas that your life is painted on. Never, ever forget that. But in this life, what does Jesus say? We will have trouble. We will have trouble. Things will not always be as we'd quite like them to be. The journey of discipleship is a journey. It goes on. Sometimes it's amazing. Sometimes life is really tough. Sometimes life is really boring. Sometimes life is really exciting. This week on Tuesday, um, I had a meeting with two friends who are ministers and we meet once a term, and we have done for a number of years. We meet to pray for each other, to support one another, and to hold each other accountable. And we take it in turns to meet at each other's sort of location. So one of us is, well, obviously I'm here. One of them is in Huddersfield, and one is in Skipton. And it was the turn to go to Skipton. So actually this week, um, we, we have two cars as a family. We have a very small car that you really don't want to go on the motorway in. And we have a bigger car. Now, Claire needed the bigger car because she had a load of stuff to take to work. So I said, don't worry, I'll arrange to go to Huddersfield and my friend then can take us both over to Skipton because it's not that far to Huddersfield. So I get to Huddersfield and he's nowhere to be seen. So I ring his wife because I couldn't get hold of him. And she said, oh, he left an hour ago. He's gone to Skipton. So I'm there thinking, I've just suffered backache driving to Huddersfield in this tiny little car and now I've got to drive to Skipton over the Pennines. So I'm there, sort of chugging along, up and down all these bumpy roads. I get to Skipton, and he's there. But you know, that kind of journey tests your patience. You learn a lot about yourself when actually somebody has misheard what you've said, and you end up bumping along in this tiny car. But life is a journey, isn't it? It's like that. Sometimes we just face situations that we'd rather not face. Things happen that we'd actually think, why am I in this situation? Why am I in this situation? How does the call to not be afraid resonate in those kind of situations? Where actually we'd rather something hadn't happened that way. Well, I think actually what we find here is, is a call to look up, to look out, to see who it is that we're following, to see what God can do in our lives. Look what Jesus says in John 14 peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, 
and do not be afraid. What's the opposite of fear? Is it a good practical outcome for every situation? What did Jesus say? Well, it's peace. It's peace. Jesus promises peace. You read that verse, it is a promise. It's not a vague hope. It's not something that you might happen to stumble upon if you pray hard enough. But it's a promise. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. How can we know God's peace? By knowing God himself. By knowing Jesus. Verse 17, Elisha prays, Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. The Lord opens the servant's eyes. They haven't been able to see what's going on in the spiritual realm up to this point. And he looks and he sees the hills full of horses, of chariots of fire all around. The angel armies of the Lord. Now, if I'd have been the servant at this point, I'd have been thinking, great. Can't wait to see what happens now. You know, we're in for a live Lord of the Rings type moment. This army will swoop down and defeat this other army and it'll be amazing and, you know, it'll be fantastic to watch. <coughs> That's not what happens. It's not what happens at all. Just a bit of an aside, it's, it's really... Um, not the point of this passage either, to try and work out what the angelic do at every point in our sort of faith journey. You know, angels are real. The Bible talks about them many times. They're messengers of God. They do God's business. But apart from that, they're in God's control. And we just have to say, actually, what are they doing here? And what they're doing here is they are showing the availability of God's resources. But you know this army, this angel army, what do they do? Go on, you can answer this. Nothing. They don't do anything. They're just there. They don't swoop down and defeat the other army. They don't do dramatic stuff. Just the servant and Elisha see that they're there. So why does Elisha pray that the servant will see the angel armies? What's the purpose of it? Well, I wonder if it is simply this, that whatever situation we face, God wants us to know that his resources are greater than we can ever imagine. That the God who commands the armies of heaven, the God who made the universe, stands with us. I don't know if you've ever experienced a moment in your life, perhaps where you've you've been ill, or you've been suffering in some way, and somebody has just come to sit with you. Perhaps a loved one, a friend, spouse, family member, whoever. They've not come to fix anything. They've just come to be there. That often is the most reassuring thing. Just somebody to be there. You know, whatever you're facing today, God is there. He has the resources of heaven, and he stands with you. You know, trusting in God, being fearless in faith, walking by faith, not by sight, is not about immediate outcome. It's not whether God suddenly swoops down and blasts all your problems out of the way. You know, God can do that. I believe in a God of miracles and a God who will, from time to time, intervene and do those things. But most of us will leave this world with problems and troubles that have remained unresolved. It's not those material outcomes that we're actually looking at here. But it's knowing that God stands with us and that he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Look at God's way of dealing with this situation. It's a million miles away from what the the servant was probably expecting. The enemy comes down, the chariots and horses are attacking the city and what does Elisha pray? That they'll be struck down with blindness. That's nothing to do with angel armies. But they're struck down with blindness. But you notice the slight irony here. What has the servant just received? 
sight into the spiritual realm. What does the advancing army lose? Sight into the physical realm. So you get a complete inversion of what's going on. And so this army gets led away to Samaria. Elisha leads them away. An army that hasn't been fought is blinded, and then as they get to Samaria, their sight is restored. So no permanent damage is done to this army. Verse 21, the king of Israel then wants to kill them all. They're in his place or wherever they went to. He could have killed them all and got rid of the threat. But actually, even in this point of history, you didn't kill prisoners of war like that. That wasn't the way you would react even if you caught them yourself. But these are not the king of Israel's prisoners. In a sense, they're God's prisoners. He's the one who's brought them there. And actually, look how God deals with them. He doesn't deal with them with violence. He doesn't fight them with the sword. But instead, he feasts them with generosity. He fights them with hospitality. He shows them that God is a God who, even to the enemies of his people, will pour out blessing in a way that we can't imagine. Romans 12, verses 9 to 21, it says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. So the army returns home, and for the time being, the war ends. You think, good show all round. Look at verse 24, I think it is. Next verse. Somebody just want to read it out? Don't all go at once. Come on, someone with a big voice. So you see what happens? It all happens again. The problem actually hasn't been dealt with finally and fully. The problem is resolved for a time, but it wasn't really over. You know, we live in a world where until Jesus returns, or we go back to to be with him forever, that there will be problems, there will be troubles. You know, situations in our world we've seen this week, we just think one thing has happened, and then another thing pops up. Then something else happens, then something else happens. And that can happen in our own life, can't it? You know, we we deal with something and and we feel that God has really helped us. And then another situation rears its head. Trusting in God is not about having a sorted life. Trusting in God is not thinking that actually everything somehow will be all right all of the time. It's not about having the answers to every single situation. It is okay this morning to be like Elisha's servant and to have to be told by God, don't be afraid but I am with you. You know, Elisha's servant is never criticized. He's just given revelation by the Lord. Just given revelation. Trusting in God is not meaning that we think that every problem needs to be sorted. And if I just pray a bit harder and have a bit more faith, then everything somehow will all come to a glorious end. No, it's about realizing that actually trusting in God means that in spite of everything, the God of the angel armies walks with me. In spite of everything, I can have confidence to step out in whatever God is calling me to do because he goes with me and will never leave me or forsake me. So this week, we can face whether it's work or home or school or college, retirement, old age, illness, relational problems, 
Not because the angel armies will swoop down and blast everything out of our way so that life will be amazing all the time. But because God is with us and we need not be afraid. He will hold us and give us his peace. That peace that says that we are held for all eternity. Whilst realizing that actually in this life we may have trouble. There's an old song, I'm not going to sing it, but it goes, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Not because my, pro- my problems are sorted out, but because Jesus, the conqueror of sin and death, has defeated Satan, defeated death itself, has risen victorious, and we can trust in him. So I just want to ask you where you're up to today. Are you fearful this morning? Are you panicky because you look at the news and you think, what on earth is going on? What on earth is going on? Are you facing situations in your life that actually you just wish God would sort out for you? Whatever we look at, God says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not be afraid. My peace, I give you. Do not be afraid. Remember, if you're in Christ, where you're heading. Do not be afraid. You are held in his hands. Let's pray. Lord, I want to pray that perhaps for those of us this morning who are feeling fearful, that once again you'll help us to rest in your sovereignty, your lordship. You'll help us to realize that the God of the angel armies walks with us wherever we go this week. Lord, we thank you for the, the comforting knowledge that you are with us at every time in every place. Perhaps just in the stillness for a few moments, you need to bring a situation before the Lord and ask for God's peace in your heart about that situation. I'll just leave a few moments of quiet to do that. whatever situation you've brought to mind I believe the Lord would say to us again do not be afraid I am with you do not be afraid so thank you Lord for your word thank you for the reminder that your spirit is always with us. And just as in a few moments as we come and take communion, we remember the backdrop of our faith. That you went to Calvary, that you have risen again, you are ascended and returning. And that one day, we will see an end to all trouble. One day, we will be in your presence forever. One day, every tear will be removed. And there will be no more crying and no more pain. And Lord, thank you that you will journey with us through this life until that day. In Jesus' name, amen.